السلام علیکم ورحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ ہاؤ یو آل ڈوئنگ الحمد للہ اعوذ باللہ من الشیطان الرجیم بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم والصلاۃ والسلام علی رسوله الکریم رب اشرح لي صدری ويسر لي امری واحلل عقده من لساني يفقهوا قولي اللهم اهد قلبي وسدد لساني واسلل سخيمه قلبي امین يا رب العالمین ان شاء الله ول بیگن کتاب الحج فرام باب نمبر 30 ٹوڈے باب التلبیہ اذا حضر فی الوادی باب التلبیہ میننگ سینگ دا تلبیہ لبیک اللهم لبیک وین اذا حضر فی الوادی اذا ات تائم وین ان حضر ا پرسن ڈسینڈز فی الوادی انٹو ا ویلی سو بیسیکلی وین ا پرسن از ان ا اسٹیٹ اف احرام اینڈ دے گو ڈاؤن ا ویلی اور اپ ا ویلی دین شوڈ دے سی دا تلبیہ اسپیشلی ات دا تائم یس دے شوڈ Remember that in the state of ihram, talbiyah should be said as much as possible. But it doesn't mean that a person says it 24-7 without taking a break because that's not realistic. However, especially at the times when a person is going up or down, then they should say the talbiyah. And in a narration, we learn that saying the talbiyah in the middle of the valleys, meaning upon descending into a valley, is of the ways of the prophets. So Ibn al-Hajr has mentioned this. So over here, Imam Bukhari brings a hadith. حدثنا محمد بن المثنى قال حدثني ابن أبي عدي عن ابن عون عن مجاهد قال كنا عند ابن عباس رضي الله عنهما. So Mujahid said that we were with Ibn Abbas رضي الله عنه فذكروا الدجال And the people who were sitting over there, they mentioned Dajjal. And أنه قال that it is said about him مكتوب بين عينيه كافر that it is written between his eyes that he is a kafir. Meaning, between the two eyes of the jal, the word kafir is written. فَقَالَ ابْنُ عَبَّاسٍ So Ibn Abbas said, لَمْ أَسْمَعْهُ I have not heard about this. وَلَكِنَّهُ قَالَ However, the Prophet ﷺ did say that أَمَّا مُوسَى As for Musa, كَأَنِّي أَنظُرُ إِلَيْهِ It is as though I can see him إِذِنْ حَدَرَ فِي الْوَادِ When he was descending into the valley, يُلَبِّي Pronouncing the تَلْبِيَةِ Now, there's a lot going on in this hadith. Before we actually get into the text, I want to talk a little bit about the chain of narration. So just so that these names that we read, we can actually become familiar with them and we can understand who these people are. So first of all, Imam Bukhari says, حَدَّثَنَا مُحَمَّدُ بْنُ الْمُثَنَّةِ That Muhammad ibn Musanna narrated to us. So basically, Imam Bukhari is taking the hadith from who? Muhammad ibn Musanna. And Muhammad ibn Musanna, remember that all of the authors of the Sihah Sitta have narrated from him. So you see Sahih Muslim, All right, the author of Sahih Muslim, Imam Muslim, then the author of Jamir At-Tirmidhi, Imam At-Tirmidhi, Ibn Majah, Abu Dawood, An-Nasai, and also Imam Bukhari. So basically, the name Muhammad ibn al-Muthanna will be found in many chains across these six books of hadith. Now Muhammad ibn al-Muthanna takes the hadith from who? Ibn Abu Adi. And Ibn Abu Adi, this is Muhammad ibn Abi Adiyin, And Imam Ahmad actually learned from him. So Imam Ahmad was one of his students. Then we have Muhammad ibn Abi Adi takes the hadith from Abdullah ibn Aoun. Abdullah ibn Aoun was from Basra. And he was born in the year 66 after Hijrah, while Abdullah ibn Abbas was still alive. Okay, so Abdullah ibn Aoun was born at a time when 
Abdullah ibn Abbas was still alive. And he also saw Anas radiallahu anhu in Basra. So he is Tabar Tabiri, but he is amongst the early generations. And he learned from Hassan al-Basri, also from Mujahid and many others. He learned from the scholars of Basra. He learned from the scholars of Kufa, from the scholars of Mecca, and also Syria. So I want you to think about this. Where is Syria? Where is Mecca? Right? And then where is Basra and Kufa? All the way in Iraq. So you're, basically he traveled all over and he learned from the scholars of these major cities. And of his students is also Abdullah ibn Mubarak. Perhaps you have heard his name. There are lots of stories and beautiful sayings that are narrated from him. And it is said about Abdullah ibn Aoun, that وَكَانَ مِنْ أَئِمَّةِ الْعِلْمِ وَالْعَمَلِ That he was of the scholars of knowledge and action. Meaning he wasn't just someone who had a lot of knowledge, he was also very pious. And some of his students said that we have never seen anyone like him. And something really uh, interesting about him is the fact that he had a lot of uh, control over his tongue. And this is something very difficult to do, especially when you are talking to people and teaching. You sort of become very, uh, it, it becomes easy for you to talk. And when you're, and when it's easy for you to talk, sometimes you, you're not that cautious. But he was extremely cautious. And he used to say, nasi da'un wa dawa'un. Think about this. Dhikrun nas, talking about people, is a da'. That is what is a da? Disease, sickness. So he said, talking about people is a sickness, and wadikrullahi dawa. And talking about Allah is a dawa. What is dawa? A cure. Meaning, when you talk about people, then first of all, it's a symptom of a sickness of the heart. And when you talk about people, this will only increase you in your misery. Is that true? Because Think about an incident where, for example, someone mistreated you. And then you go home and, and talk about the entire incident. And you narrate the entire incident. And then as you're talking about it, what happens? It's basically you are torturing yourself, isn't it? Because you are making yourself experience those same horrible feelings again. And if you repeat the incident, you're going to experience those feelings again and again. So, ذِكْرُ nasi da wa ذِكْرُ dawa. When you remember Allah, that is truly a healing. And he was especially good to his mother. We learn about Ibn Aoun that once his mother called him, and when he answered her, his voice was really loud. And sometimes it happens that, you know, it's very normal. Men have louder voices sometimes. So he raised his voice and his voice was much louder than the voice of his mother. And even though sometimes raising your voice is well-intentioned, it can come across as very rude, that the other person feels like you're yelling at me. And he felt so bad about this, that his voice was so loud, that it sounded like he was yelling at his mother, that he freed two slaves as, you know, as istighfar, in order to seek forgiveness from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, because good deeds erase bad deeds. So truly he was a man of knowledge and a man of action. And he was also very well-wishing. He really wanted good for others. You may have heard of Hajjaj ibn Yusuf, that Hajjaj ibn Yusuf, basically, he was a person of great authority and 
there was a lot of oppression committed at his hands and also at his commands. So some people asked him that we have heard that you were actually seeking forgiveness for Hajjaj ibn Yusuf. And he said, why not? Why not? So he was extremely well-wishing. And this kind of well-wishing is very important because if we hold grudges in our hearts, especially sometimes against people we've never met and against people we have no direct contact with, but if we keep a grudge in our heart, that's only going to harm us. So remember that the Prophet ﷺ, he even sought forgiveness for Abdullah ibn Ubay. Because in the Qur'an it was mentioned that even if you seek forgiveness for such people 70 times, Allah will not forgive them. So the Prophet ﷺ said that I will seek forgiveness more than 70 times. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forbade him completely from seeking forgiveness for such people. So this kind of well-wishing is really important, especially when you are you know, helping for the cause of the deen, whether you're volunteering somewhere or you're part of a Muslim community in any way. And we learned that someone had oppressed him a great deal because this is something that would happen that many times scholars would be persecuted. And when people told him about, you know, something that that individual had done or said, his reply was that a person is oppressed and he keeps talking about the oppression until he becomes the oppressor. Think about this, that a person is oppressed, he gets oppressed, but then he keeps talking about the oppression until he becomes the oppressor. So someone may have wronged you, may have hurt you, may have annoyed you, but if we keep repeating that over and over, and we keep you know, ruining their reputation and talking bad about them, then we become the oppressor. So this was Abdullah ibn Aoun. So Abdullah ibn Aoun took the hadith from who? From Mujahid. All right. And this is Mujahid ibn Jabr. And Mujahid ibn Jabr was, of course, from Mecca, and he learned from many companions, but especially he was a student of Abdullah ibn Abbas, radiallahu anhu. And we learn about Mujahid that he said that I read the entire Qur'an to Abdullah ibn Abbas three times. So this is the student reading before who? Before the teacher. Unfortunately, this kind of learning has become very rare now because we just go and we listen. But that's just one part of learning. You know, it's like when you learn and you take a test, right? But imagine you're taking a test not by answering a few questions, but by reading the entire text. So he said that I read the entire Quran to Abdullah ibn Abbas three times, stopping at each ayah. Stopping at each ayah. And I would ask him, about what it was sent down concerning and, and why it was sent down. So basically, he would ask Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhu about every single verse, about the background, about the meaning, about the context. And this is the reason why Imam Mujahid is described as the sheikh of the Qur'an and Mufassirin. When it comes to the Qur'an reciters and Qur'an interpreters, he is really a leader amongst them. And Imam Mujahid took the hadith from who? Abdullah ibn Abbas radiallahu anhu. So he's the companion over here. And Abdullah ibn Abbas radiallahu anhu, many virtues, but remember this one virtue at least, that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam prayed for him, that, oh Allah, give him the understanding of religion and teach him interpretation. So Mujahid says that we were with Abdullah ibn Abbas. So there were several people sitting with him. And people were talking about the jal. And these kind of uh, conversations take place today also. 
that it's a hot topic. People are curious. People want to know. So something similar was happening at that time. They were asking him about the jal or talking about the jal. And it is well known that the jal will not be able to enter Makkah or Medina. And as they were talking about the jal, they were talking about Makkah and the entrances of Makkah. And Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhu, this hadith basically has been abridged. The entire text is not mentioned over here. How one you know, conversation led to another, which led to another. So Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhu told them about what he had heard from the Prophet wasallam about the entrances into Makkah. About the entrances that lead to Makkah. And uh, one of the things that he mentioned was that the Prophet wasallam described how Musa salam was descending from a valley saying the talbiyah. And this is the reason why Imam Bukhari brings this hadith over here. That when you're descending, when you're going down, then at that time especially you should say the talbiyah. So for example, you're in the plane, you're already in the state of ihram, and the plane is landing. Or for example, you're, you're driving and you can see the road going down. So at that time especially, or going down the stairs, even going down the elevator or the escalator. So at these times especially, say the talbiyah. And now the question is that how did Musa salam do hajj? Did he do hajj? And the Prophet ﷺ said that it is as though I can see him. So remember that the Prophet ﷺ was given wahi in different ways, right? Sometimes he would be shown things in his dream and sometimes he would be shown things in front of him. And of course, other people around him were not able to see. Like for example, during the eclipse when the Prophet ﷺ was leading the people in prayer, at that time he was shown several matters of uh, the hereafter. In fact, he said that he was also shown some of the fruits of Jannah, amongst them grapes. So this is part of wahi, okay, how the Prophet ﷺ was informed as to how Musa ﷺ was going for hajj. Now, the thing is that the prophets of Allah did perform hajj. Okay, This is something that we should know because there are hadith that tell us about how Yunus ﷺ was saying the talbiyah. And Sulaiman he built the Baytul Maqdis, alright, and after that, all of the people started going there for worship. But when Ibrahim made the announcement, then Anas includes who? All people. And amongst the people, who do you think would be at the top when it comes to worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? The prophets of Allah. So, some scholars suggested that it is even possible that they do Hajj now, alright, because remember, that yes, they are no longer in this worldly life, they are alive with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, a life that we cannot fully understand, and they worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala over there. And how exactly that existence is, we don't know. Remember when the Prophet ﷺ went for the night journey, he saw Ibrahim ﷺ leaning against Baytul Ma'mur. And before that, he led all of the Prophets in prayer, where? In Baytul Maqdis, right? So this is a part of the unseen, and we cannot really grasp its entire reality, but we can certainly benefit from the descriptions that the Prophet ﷺ has given to us. And amongst them is that when we're descending, we should also say the talbiyah. Okay. Bab, kayfa tuhillu al-ha'idu wa'l-nufasa'u? Now, kayfa how tuhillu, she should say the talbiyah or, or Ihlal, remember we discussed the meaning of this before, how she should enter the state of ihram. 
ہو الحاد و نفسا حائد مینسٹریٹنگ وومن اینڈ نفسا ویمن دیر آر بلیڈنگ فرام چائلڈ برتھ سو ہاؤ شوڈ سچ اے وومن اینٹر ان ٹو دا اسٹیٹ آف احرام اور شوڈ شی ایون اینٹر دا اسٹیٹ آف احرام امام بخاری ایکسپلینس دا میننگ آف تو اوور ہیئر دیٹ اہلا مینس تکلم ابھی ٹو سی سم تھنگ وسطلنا و اہلنا الہلال کلر اینڈ بیسکلی دیز ورڈز آر آل ڈیرائیوڈ فرام They all give the meaning of zuhur, to appear. And وَاسْتَهَلَّ الْمَطَرُ اِسْتَهَلَّ الْمَطَرُ is when خَرَجَ مِنَ السَّحَابِ When rain comes out or falls from the clouds. So basically it appears. And the same thing is used for uh, the crescent because it appears. And the sound or the voice when it is raised, it becomes apparent. وَمَا أُهِلَّ لِغَيْرِ اللَّهِ بِهِ وَهُوَ مِنِ اسْتِهْلَالِ الصَّبِيهِ When a child is born, makes noise, so that noise is also called istihlal. So basically, ahalla is to say out loud something that shows that you are in a state of ihram. So that it becomes apparent that this person is now beginning their ritual worship. So how should a menstruating woman do that? حدثنا عبد الله بن مسلمة حدثنا مالك عن ابن شهاب عن عروة بن الزبير عن عائشة رضي الله عنها So Aisha رضي الله عنها reported Who is she? زوج النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم The wife of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم She said قالت خرجنا مع النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم في حجة الوداعي She said we went out with the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم in the farewell pilgrimage فأهللنا بعمرة Meaning we declared our intention of Umrah. ثم قال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم then the prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم said من كان معه هدي whoever has with him the animal to slaughter فليهل بالحج مع العمره then he should make the intention of hajj with umrah ثم لا يحل حتى يحل منهما جميعا and then he should not come out of the state of ihram until he is done with both umrah and hajj this was for who for the people who had sacrificial animal with them so which kind of hajj Exactly, Hajj Qiran. Why? Because these people had the sacrificial animal with them, all right? And they would do Umrah and Hajj and would only come out of the state of Ihram after Hajj. And this is Qiran. Remember, Tamattur is to take advantage, okay? And that is referring to Umrah, break, and Hajj, okay? And that is uh, for people who do not bring their sacrificial animal with them. فَقَدِمْتُ مَكَّةَ وَأَنَا حَائِضٌ So Aisha radiallahu anha says that when I came to Mecca while I was menstruating walam atuf bil bayti and I did not perform tawaf of the Kaaba wala bayna as-safa wal marwati nor did I go between Safa and Marwa meaning there was no sa'i fashakawtu dhalika ila an-nabiy sallallahu alayhi wasallam and I complained to the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam about that that basically I did not get to do my umrah faqala so he said unqudi ra'saki wa mtashiti He said, undo your hair and comb your hair. And we'll learn about why he told her to do that. وَأَهِلِّي بِالْحَجِّ And now, just make the intention for hajj. وَدَعِي الْعُمْرَةَ And leave the umrah. Because you cannot do it anymore, so just leave it. فَفَعَلْتُ So I did that. فَلَمَّا قَضَيْنَا الْحَجَّ And when we had completed hajj, أَرُسَلَنِ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ The Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم sent me مَعَ عَبْدِ الرَّحْمَنِ بْنِ أَبِي بَكْرٍ with عَبْدِ الرَّحْمَنِ بْنِ أَبِي بَكْرٍ Who is he? 
her brother, إِلَى التَّنْعِيمِ تُتَنْعِيمِ فَاعْتَمَرْتُ And then I performed Umrah. فَقَالَ He said, هَذِهِ مَكَانُ عُمْرَتِكَ This was in place of the Umrah that you missed. قَالَتْ فَطَافَ الَّذِينَ كَانُوا أَهَلُّوا بِالْعُمْرَةِ بِالْبَيْتِ وَبَيْنَ الصَّفَا وَالْمَرْوَةِ She said that the people uh, who had uh, the intention of Umrah, uh, they did tawaf uh, of the Kaaba. And وَبَيْنَ الصَّفَا وَالْمَرْوَةِ And they also did سَعِي ثُمَّ حَلُّوا Then they came out of the state of Ihram. ثُمَّ طَافُوا طَوَافًا وَاحِدًا بَعْدَ أَنْ رَجَعُوا مِنْ مِنًا Then they did another tawaf when they returned from Mina. So basically, these are the people who did Hajj Tamattur. وَأَمَّا الَّذِينَ جَمَعُوا الْحَجَّ وَالْعُمْرَةَ And the people who had combined Hajj and Umrah, combined as in, in one Ihram, فَإِنَّمَا طَافُوا طَوَافًا وَاحِدًا They only did one tawaf. So, over here, we learned that Imam Bukhari brings this very important bab. And from this hadith, we learn very clearly that a menstruating woman will also enter the state of ihram, just as the rest of the people. However, she will not do tawaf. Okay, she will not do tawaf. And if the time of hajj comes and she's not able to do her umrah, all right, because her menstruation is not ended, then she will just change her intention. She will leave Umrah completely and only do Hajj. Because remember that all of the rituals of Hajj can be done even while a woman is menstruating. Okay? So basically what's happening over here is that the Prophet ﷺ told her to change her intention from Umrah to Hajj. And this is something permissible. That for example, even otherwise, let's say a person intends to uh, do Umrah first and then Hajj, they're going, something happens, flight gets delayed, or uh, you know it takes them long to get to Makkah, and now but by the time they get there, there isn't enough time to do Umrah first. If they do Umrah first, they won't be able to reach Mina on time, and then their Hajj will get compromised. So in that case, what can they do? Simply leave their Umrah. Okay? They will change their intention. From Umrah to Hajj. And this is something permissible. And the Prophet ﷺ told Aisha radiallahu anha to undo her hair and comb her hair. Why? Why do you think? Okay, but why undo her hair and wash it and comb it? But why this particular instruction? Why not simply just take a bath? Why this instruction? Remember the Prophet ﷺ had done talbid, talbid, where the people would uh, cover their hair with, with a sticky substance, especially while traveling, right? A gel-like substance, sometimes even honey. Why? To ensure that, first of all, uh, they wouldn't get lice, the hair wouldn't get dirty, and it was just a way of uh, protecting the hair. So Aisha radiallahu anha had also done that. And remember that we discussed that you're allowed to do wudu, all right? You can just wipe over your uh, hair like that. However, when it comes to ghusl, then that that has to be removed. And this is why the Prophet ﷺ told her to undo her hair and comb it. Because with that process, that talbid, whatever was applied on the hair, would be removed. Clear? Okay. Bab, man ahalla fi zaman This is something very beautiful. Man ahalla, the one who uh, goes into ihram, في زمن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم during the lifetime of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم but how, what niyyah does he make what intention does he make is he making the intention of Umrah first or Hajj what exactly is he doing he just says كَإِهْلَالِ النَّبِيُّ صلى الله عليه وسلم like the intention as the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم basically this person says I'm doing the same Hajj the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم is doing 
Because you see now, yes, all the rules are there and, you know, you go to a Hajj workshop, right? And you learn, okay, there's options of Hajj Tamattur, Hajj Qiran, Hajj Ifrad. And you're like, okay, we're going for these many days. And your group leader tells you, okay, this is more convenient for us. So, okay, you make the intention of Hajj Tamattur, for example, right? But you have the privilege of going to a workshop, of learning. And there are people who don't have that privilege. And even if they do, everybody does not have the same level of knowledge and understanding. So sometimes, especially when you go for Umrah, you see, for example, groups of people following you know, a leader. The leader tells them, do this, and they'll go do that. Right? Even the leader will tell them, the leader will say the talbiyah, and they will repeat after the leader. Somebody once told us a joke that uh, they saw some people following a leader like that. That, you know, he was saying, Rabbana, and they would say, Rabbana, he'd say, Atina, and everybody would say, Atina. And his phone rang in the middle, so he picked up the phone and said, hello, and everybody said, hello. So, unfortunately, that's because the majority of the Muslims don't know. Uh, just the other day, someone was telling me about how when they went for Hajj, there was a lady with her, in her group, who was literally with her because uh, she was not able to see and she said that, you know, whatever I would tell her, that now we're going here, we have to do this, she would just follow me. She did exactly what she was being told. So here the question is about a person basically not knowing what intention he has. All he knows is we're doing hajj. But what exactly are the details of hajj? That person doesn't really know much. Okay? So is that allowed? All right? Is that allowed? This is the question. So here, and sometimes a person on purpose can leave an unclear intention because they don't know how things might change. Like, for example, you intend to do Umrah. Like, for example, uh, you are just going for Hajj. You start your journey, you say Hajj Ifrad. Okay? And on the way you find out that you can also do Umrah. There is enough time. So now you can change your intention, right? You can do Umrah first and then Hajj. But to avoid such difficulty, or because you really don't know what might happen, you start, you begin your hajj with an unclear intention. You understand? You don't know if you're going to end up doing ifrad or qiran. You understand? So having this unclear or unspecified intention, basically. Can you begin your hajj like that? So remember that majority of the scholars allowed this, that this is something permissible. But Imam Bukhari and some other scholars did not allow this. They said that this was only fi zaman in Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam. It was only during the time of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Why? Because they said that at that time everyone did not know the rules. When the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam performed Hajj, he taught the Hajj. Now that knowledge is there, so people must learn. But the majority of the scholars. Allow it because yes, the knowledge may be there, but everybody is not at that level. Likewise, the knowledge may be there, but circumstances may change. So, قَالَهُ ibn Umara رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُمَا عَنِ النَّبِيِّ صَلَّى اللَهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ Abdullah ibn Umar has mentioned this, meaning a hadith regarding this, which inshallah we'll see. حدثنا المكي بن إبراهيم عن ابن جريج قال عطاء قال جابر رضي الله عنه أمر النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم عليا رضي الله عنه so Jabir radiallahu anhu said that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa instructed Ali radiallahu anhu an yuqima ala ihramihi that he should remain in his ihram. وَذَكَرَ قَوْلَ سُرَاقَ And he mentioned the statement of suraqa. 
what happened with Ali radiallahu anhu? Why did the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam tell him to stay in his ihram? That is explained in the next hadith. حدثنا الحسن بن علي الخلال الهدلي حدثنا عبد الصمد حدثنا سليم بن حيان قال سمعت مروان الأصفر عن أنس بن مالك رضي الله عنه قال قدم علي رضي الله عنه So Anas bin Malik reported that Ali رضي الله عنه came على النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم من اليمني So he came to the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم from Yemen Remember that during the time of Hajjatul Wada'a, before the Prophet ﷺ left, Ali ﷺ had been sent to Yemen. So now, the Prophet ﷺ is making his way from Medina to Mecca, and Ali ﷺ is also coming from Yemen. And Ali ﷺ met the Prophet ﷺ on the way. So what happened? فَقَالَ The Prophet ﷺ asked him, بِمَا أَهْلَلْتَ What intention have you made? Are you going to do Umrah or Hajj? Or both? I mean, Umrah first, then Hajj, or only Hajj. So, Qala Ali radiallahu anhu said, Bima ahalla bihin Nabiyu sallallahu alayhi wasallam. My intention is the same as that of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. This was easy, and of course, also more virtuous, because he had no way of asking the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, right? I mean, these days you can easily, you know, communicate with someone. Ali radiallahu anhu did not have that option. Faqala, so the Prophet ﷺ told him, "Laula anna ma'il hadiya la ahlaltu." If I did not have the sacrificial animal with me, I would have come out of the state of ihram. After when? After the Umrah. Wazada Muhammad ibn Bakrin, an ibn Jurajin, qala lahu Nabiyu sallallahu alayhi wasallam, "Bima ahlalta ya Aliyu?" qala "Bima ahlal bihi Nabiyu sallallahu alayhi wasallam?" qala "Fa'ahdi wa mkuth haraman kama anta." Slightly different wording in another narration. And the Prophet ﷺ told Ali that فَأَهْدِي That offer the sacrifice وَمْكُثْ حَرَامًا كَمَا أَنْتَ And remain in a state of ihram as you are. Okay. So we see over here that when Ali who came with an unclear or unspecified intention, the Prophet ﷺ approved of that. And the Prophet ﷺ's intention was to do Umrah and Hajj with one Ihram, and that's what he told Ali radiallahu anhu to do. Someone asked Shaykh ibn Baz that if a person does hajj with the people and does what they do without knowing the essential parts, obligatory actions, and sunnahs of hajj, meaning he's just following the process and he doesn't know even the names or what is the rukun and what is a sunnah, all these fancy labels, he doesn't know. What is a ruling on his hajj? So he replied that his hajj is valid as long as he does what the Muslims do. Meaning he does all of the major parts of hajj. So basically, someone doesn't know much and they go for hajj in a group and they just follow their group leader. Their group leader says, now we're going for tawaf. Okay, what are we doing in tawaf? The leader says, this is what we're going to do. And this person just follows the leader. After tawaf, the leader says, okay, we're going to go first. We're going to pray to rakah, then we're going to do this. So he just follows the group leader. Is his hajj valid? Yes, it is. Right? And there is so much wisdom in this. Right? And so much ease. Because imagine if every Muslim had to know the details of hajj. It would be very complicated. It would be very, very difficult. حدثنا محمد بن يوسف حدثنا سفيان عن قيس بن مسلم عن طارق بن شهاب عن أبي موسى رضي الله عنه 
ابو موسا رضی اللہ عنہ ہی سیٹ قال بعثن النبی صلی اللہ علیہ وسلم ہی سیٹ دا پروفٹ صلی اللہ علیہ وسلم سینٹ می الى قوم باليمن to a people in Yemen. So basically the Prophet ﷺ had also sent Abu Musa to Yemen. So he said, فَجِئْتُ وَهُوَ بِالْبَطْحَائِ So he said, I came, and this is of course, he's coming now for Hajj, and the Prophet ﷺ was at Badha. فَقَالَ So he met the Prophet ﷺ over there. فَقَالَ So he asked him, بِمَا أَهْلَلْتَ What intention have you made? The Prophet ﷺ asked Abu Musa. قُلْتُ أَهْلَلْتُكَ إِهْلَالِ النَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ He said, I have made the same intention as that of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم. قَالَ He said, هَلْ مَعَكَ مِنْ هَدِينَ Do you have a sacrificial animal with you? قُلْتُ لَا I said, no. فَأَمَرَنِي So the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم told me, فَطُفْتُ بِالْبَيْتِ So I did tawaf of the Kaaba, وَبِالصَّفَا وَالْمَرْوَى And also did sari. ثُمَّ أَمَرَنِي فَأَحْلَلْتُ And he told me, he allowed me, and I came out of the state of ihram. So you see, for Ali radiallahu anhu, the Prophet ﷺ told him, get a sacrificial animal and stay in ihram as I am. But for Abu Musa radiallahu anhu, the Prophet ﷺ told him, you just do umrah and you come out of the state of ihram. He said, فَأَتَيْتُمْ رَأَةً مِّنْ قَوْمِي فَمَشَطَتْنِي He said, I came to a woman from my people. meaning one of his relatives, and she combed my hair, she made my hair. أو غسلت رأسي or washed my head for the same reason, because تلبي is something that's not very easy to remove. فقدم عمر رضي الله عنه and then عمر رضي الله عنه came فقال إن نأخذ بكتاب الله and he said that if we look at the book of Allah فإنه يأمرنا بالتمام it commands us to do, to complete Hajj and Umrah. And he quoted the ayah, وَأَتِمُّ الْحَجَّ وَالْعُمْرَةِ That perform hajj and umrah. وَإِنَّ خُذْهُ بِسُنَّةِ النَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ And he said that if we uh, take the sunnah of the Prophet صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ فَإِنَّهُ لَمْ يَحِلَّ حَتَّى نَحَرَ الْهَدِيَةِ Then he did not come out of ihram until he had sacrificed his camels. Now what's happening over here? There's two things. First of all, the incident of Abu Musa al-Ash'ari. And then secondly, the statement of Umar radiallahu anhu. Imam Bukhari brings the incident of Abu Musa to show that you can begin hajj with an unclear or unspecified intention. Okay? That's very clear, alhamdulillah. But the second thing that's part of this hadith, the statement of Umar radiallahu anhu, basically, Umar radiallahu anhu did not allow people to do hajj tamattur. Even Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu before him did not allow people to do hajj tamattur. And after Umar radiallahu anhu, Uthman radiallahu anhu even would not allow people to do hajj tamattur. Okay? So the three khulafa, basically, one after the other, did not allow people to do hajj tamattur. Why? Because in hajj tamattur, what's happening? You can come really early, right? You can even come in, you know, a month before hajj. And you can come, do Umrah, you're free from the state of Ihram, you can stay in Makkah, and then when Hajj comes, when it is Dhul-Hijjah, you can just put on Ihram and go to Mina. Right? So basically, what they feared was, there was two problems over here. Okay? First of all, what they feared was that now people will only come during Hajj time to do Umrah and Hajj, and they will not come otherwise. Okay? 
They will not come otherwise. They will only come at Hajj time and they will just do their Umrah. And after a few days, they will do their Hajj and they'll never come back again. You understand? Because they fulfill their obligation. They've also done Umrah. So, you know, they wanted that people should continue to visit the Kaaba and do Umrah, you know, throughout the rest of the year. The second problem was that when people would come for Hajj a month in advance, a month and a half in advance, and they've done their Umrah, and now they're hanging out in Makkah, what would that do to Makkah? Overpopulated. And the Kaaba especially would become extremely busy. And that's a problem that we see, that we face today, right? So this is the reason why they did not allow people to do Hajj Tamattar. Because Hajj Tamattar gives you that advantage of coming really early and, you know, taking it easy and then doing Hajj. And Umar radiallahu anhu gave his evidence. He said that, look, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, complete Hajj and Umrah. Okay, complete Hajj and Umrah. So basically complete them together, not with a break in the middle. You understand? That in one ihram, do what? Umrah and Hajj. One ihram. So basically, you enter Makkah one day before Hajj, two days before Hajj, not a month before. You understand? And then he said, if we look at the Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, he did not exit the state of ihram until after Hajj. Hmm? Meaning the Prophet ﷺ did not do Hajj tamattur. What did he do? Hajj Qiran. So it's understandable why Umar radiallahu anhu was strict about this. But later on, as we will see, Ali radiallahu anhu, he had a discussion with Uthman radiallahu anhu. And he put on his ihram and he said the intention for umrah and then hajj. So basically he said that I'm not going to leave what is approved from the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. If this is allowed, then it should not be stopped. It should not be prohibited. All right. Any question? Yes. The Prophet ﷺ himself did hajj Quran, but he encouraged people to do hajj tamattur, as we can see with Abu Musa al-Ashari also. He told him to do hajj tamattur. And even the people who were with him, traveling with him from Medina to Mecca, the Prophet ﷺ told him to do hajj tamattur, whoever did not have the sacrificial animal with him. And the Prophet ﷺ even expressed his wish that if I had not brought the sacrificial animal with me, I would have come out of the state of ihram. So his preference was what? Hajj tamattur. So then why would the companions not allow people to hajj tamattur? I gave you the two reasons. That they feared that the people would only come at this time and not the rest of the year. And then secondly, now people just started coming and camping out in Mecca and the area got really busy uh, days and weeks before hajj. So that makes matters difficult. Right? Uh, and really, with time, they saw that it wouldn't make any difference. People would still come. And subhanAllah, now people go really sometimes months in advance. Okay. This is similar to how, you know, when a man would pronounce divorce on his wife three times in one incident, some of the Sahaba would declare it to be three divorces. 